If you're looking for ways to prioritize your health and fitness, run more efficiently, understand food, and somehow fit it all into a fun and family-centered life, you're in the right place. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on another episode of the Real Life Runners podcast. We are your hosts, Angie and Kevin Brown. And today we are talking about the concept of effort-based running. So Kevin, let's start off just by talking about um, what is effort-based running? Uh, Effort-based running helps answer the question that I get so often at practice. Hey coach, how fast am I supposed to go? Yeah. So the answer is, well, it it depends. It depends on how you're feeling today. It depends on what you had for lunch. It depends on if it's humid or hot or rainy, if we're going uphill. It it depends. And effort-based training allows me to say, well, you need to feel like you're going this hard rather than say you need to hit exactly seven minutes per mile. Right, exactly. So effort-based training is a really nice way for us to kind of gauge how hard we're working um, during each run. And it's based on um, basically your own self-perceived rating of exertion. So exactly what Kevin said, how hard um, does your run feel that day? Right. And there's so many things that come into play. I know that how fast I go for a run depends on what time of the day it is. Absolutely. You know, if I wake up and within 15 minutes I got foot to pavement and I'm off and going, that first mile is not going to be that fast, No, but it's going to feel exactly the same <laughs> as it feels you know, if I go run at like 3.30 at practice <laughs> and I've been up and doing stuff all day and I've eaten some breakfast and lunch, the the effort that I need to bring does not relate to the exact same time on my watch. That's for sure. And I'm definitely learning that as I have started to transition myself into more of a morning runner, how different that pace feels at 5.30 in the morning versus in the afternoon or in the evening. Yeah. You're starting to get an idea of why I used to say, yeah, I'm going to do this workout, but I'm going to try and figure out how to squeeze that in during my lunch period, <laughs> because there's no way that I can hit that level of intensity before the sun makes it up. Right. I mean, you can hit that level of intensity. You just can't do it at the, at the pace you want it to be at. Right. Which is tricky because, you know, most road races are happening really, really early in the morning. Right. I mean, 5Ks, sometimes you'll get them that go off at eight o'clock, but shoot a half marathon marathon. Mm -hmm. Those are like six, six thirty. Yeah. So, I mean, some even before that, aren't they? Yeah. So, I mean, you got to be up and ready to roll, which is also why it's helpful to get up at like four for that race. I mean, it's really painful when the alarm clock goes off, but then you've been up for a few hours mm -hmm. by the time the gun goes. Right. And then that gives you time to eat and everything else. So like Kevin said, um, you know, the, some of the benefits of doing effort-based training is that you know, it takes into consideration all of the external factors that you don't necessarily have control over. Like it, it takes into account the weather and uh, how much sleep you got and how your hydration level is and what you ate and all that other stuff that all plays a factor in how hard or how good that run feels on any given day. And, and any form of stress whether it's physical or mental is really going to affect your run. Mm -hmm. You know, if you aren't having a good day, yeah. 
your your easy pace is going to feel different than if everything's just been going your day and it's sunshine and rainbows all day long. That is such like, an excellent point. Your mental, you know, your mindset when you head off on a run really affects how hard that run is going to feel. That's that's an excellent point to make. Absolutely. So that's a great overview of what effort-based running is and why it's important um, to incorporate into our training. So let's go through and kind of explain some of the details now. So basically, um, we like to use a scale of one to five to kind of gauge the intensity of your running. Um, so level one, all the way up to level five, and there's different reasons for each level that we'll go through now, um, and each level should feel different. Um, so let's start off with level one, Kevin. Level one is your recovery pace. So tell us a little bit about what um, your recovery pace should feel like and why this is important for our training. So your recovery pace should feel easy, like really easy. Like think of your easy, like, oh, I just, I'll, I'll go out and I'll have a relaxing run and then take it down a notch. Even easier. It's, it's recovery. This is what you do if you had a really hard workout the day before or your long run, but you still want to get in something that day. It should be at a recovery pace. This is what you do between intervals during a workout. It okay. is recovery. Yeah. And it is really relaxing. Okay. So for some people that might be a walk. Oh, entirely. Okay. Or uh, a run-walk kind of back and forth mm -hmm. so that you've got an, an easy jog going and then you pull it back to a walk so that it never feels like you're pushing yourself that hard. You want to make sure that you are feeling completely recovered during this run. At no point are you pushing. So would you say that there are definitely times that you should do an entire run at this level, at a level one? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, most, um, I mean, any cool down that I've ever done off of a workout was always at a recovery level. And I mean, when I was in college, we used to do cool downs that were like three miles. So that that's three miles at, at recovery. Okay. Um, or like the day after a marathon, the day after, uh, the day after a marathon, I'm laying there. Yeah. That's pretty much. That's my recovery. <laughs> that's your recovery. Someone bring me food. I can't move. Um, <laughs> But you know the the day after like a five k race, the day after the day after a half marathon race, mm -hmm. I can still function, but not not real smooth. Your entire run should be recovery, and it's probably not going to be even that long of a run because you don't want to just by being out there for a long period of time just becomes taxing. Right. Time time on your feet will be take it beyond a recovery day. So this is going to help to minimize the, a lot of the oxidative stress on the body, right, and help to kind of. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Kind of mitigate the effects of that hard workout the day before. Right. It helps your body actually gain from the day before. If you really push it, you're gaining, you're getting benefits from the hard day, but you're not actually going to feel those benefits unless you, you run a recovery day correctly, unless you actually take it easy and let your body adapt to the stress that you put on it the day before. Got it. All right, cool. So that's recovery. So then level two is an easy pace. So how is an easy pace different than a recovery pace? Uh, an easy pace is still relaxing, but you're not, you don't have to focus quite as much on making sure that this thing feels so super relaxed. You can get in a, a normal distance day and still feel like it's an easy pace. Right. You know, depending on, on what level of fitness you're at. I mean, there's people that are training off for a marathon. We'll talk about going off on like a seven, eight mile easy run. Mm -hmm. And it, 
as long as it feels comfortable the whole time, it's an easy day. It's not a recovery because it's not that far pulled back. Okay. And, you know, based on what you and I kind of have been talking about, learning about, it, it seems that most of your training should kind of be in this zone at level two. Right. And it's it's a tough zone for some people to hit. And by some people, I include myself in think, that group. I think most people have a hard time hitting this pace because we're, you know, we've been talking a lot about how a lot of times when people go out for a run, they just automatically hit a moderate pace. And that's just kind of where they know because that's what they do when they go out to run. Like, yeah. I, and I think, you know, especially since we're, we're really hitting the levels today, let's cover that most people actually don't hit moderate. Most people hit that awkward level between easy and moderate. It's okay. not hard enough to be getting the moderate benefits and it's not easy enough to be getting easy benefits. It's this gray zone in between. So you're really not getting benefits of either level. Right. You're still getting benefits. There's still general cardio fitness benefits. Well, yeah, you're still running. Yeah, well, there was a guy a while ago uh, in Dr. Jack Daniels, who is like the, the coaching guru legend out there. And he used to be super strict and said, if it wasn't easy and it wasn't moderate, it was worthless. Okay. And there've been a lot more research that suggests that worthless might be a bit too strong there, Jack. And <laughs> maybe you should pull back a little bit. Yeah, I called him. I called him by his first name like we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what are the benefits of um, level two easy training? Um, well, you are still, you're training aerobically, so you are getting, um, a lot of cardio benefits. Uh, it is a good mental break. You don't have to be looking at the watch and checking to make sure that you're hitting a certain pace. It's a chance to just say, Hey, I'm just going to go out and run and feel comfortable the whole time. Mm -hmm. Now, I tend to push too hard on recovery days because when I first got into running in high school and college, I pushed too hard on these days because I, I was too competitive. Mm -hmm. And so I have to check my watch every once in a while to make sure that I'm not accidentally going too fast. Right. But for the most part, you just want to relax. And if you're accidentally going too slow, you're going to get more benefits than accidentally going too fast. Yeah. You want to live in the, the fat burning zone of this, which is a nice, comfortable pace. Right. So like you were saying, you're increasing your aerobic capacity now. And the whole idea of aerobic versus anaerobic is, um, number one, the amount of oxygen that you're using during those um, specific uh, training periods, and also how your body is giving you the energy. So in a level two, in an aerobic activity, your body is much more efficient at burning fat because it's a, you're, to access the fat in your body, it is a um, slower process and it requires oxygen. So you have to be giving your body enough oxygen in order to start breaking down some of, of those fat cells. And in order for your body to get enough oxygen, you have to be going easy enough that your breathing is easy. I mean, your breathing is not labored. You're not hyperventilating. You're getting good deep breaths, bringing in a lot of oxygen into your lungs so that that can then go into your cells and allow your body to start breaking down some of the fat. So that's kind of why aerobic and fat burning kind of go together in this level. Thank you for explaining that because I love that topic and I just wasn't quite sure how to explain it clearly. I think that was really nice. Okay. <laughs> this is also why running in a group is a great thing because how can you check to see if you're going at an easy pace? Uh, if you're able to actually chat with the people in your group, that's an easy pace. If you've stopped contributing to the conversation in your group, you are beyond level two. Mm -hmm. You know, If every time you hit a stoplight, you hit your watch and you stand there with your hands on your knees panting... 
No, that's no longer level two. Right. You're, you've taken it too far. Right. I, so, I screwed that up this morning on my run. I thought I wasn't in pace. I thought I'm like, oh, this is good. I had my headphones in and I couldn't hear how hard I was breathing. I finished and I turned my, my, uh, what I was listening to on a pause and I'm like, oh, Oh, I was definitely pushing too hard this morning. Yeah. And you said, you know, that's one benefit of running with the group, which is true because you can maintain a conversation, but it, it can also be, you know, that's also sometimes a negative running with a group because I know on my run this morning, um, one of the girls I was running with, you know, she wanted to push the pace and I knew I needed to be at an easy level. And if I wanted to push it and keep up with her, um, that was going to be too much for me. That was going to put me at more of a, a level three. So that can sometimes be a negative about, be, you know, running with a group if you're not um, willing to pull yourself back and recognize when that, you know, that person's pace is too much for you that day for what, you know, your goal is for that run. Right. And I think one of the last things I want to cover on level two here is the the physical benefit that you get out of this. Uh, at running at this very relaxed, easy pace actually increases the amount of capillaries in, in the muscles. So it's helping bring blood, more blood to the muscles that prepares you to be able to go faster. Mm -hmm. And it helps, uh, increase the production of the mitochondria, which you gotta check with me because I haven't taught biology in a couple of years, but <laughs> that those are the guys that make energy inside of your body. You got it. So yeah. the more little aliens those, inside your body. Right. So more of those guys means more energy. And it's all this stuff that running easy helps build so that you can then run at the harder levels. Absolutely. And you're also putting miles on the legs and allowing your muscles to build strength and endurance without all of that oxidative stress that people are talking a lot more about nowadays. You know, people are very concerned about antioxidants and oxidative stress on the body and how that can lead to different disease processes. And, you know, the level two, you're running at a pace that's easy enough to allow your body to continue to just burn fat, get oxygen to where it needs to be, increase the blood flow, increase the energy production. Like all of these things, your body is more efficient do, at doing at this level. So you're not creating all of that lactate and other nasty stuff that, that create that oxidative stress inside the body because your body's more able to just deal with all of it while you're running at this easy pace. Right. So if it seems like we're spending a while on level two, there's a good reason. It's super important. So on your easy days, check and make sure that you are in fact going at an easy pace. Yes. Make sure you can breathe and talk the entire time. Mm -hmm. Oh, say, can you see? Yes. If you can sing the, the Star Spangled Banner, you've got it. That's the check if you're running by yourself. Be that person down the street singing the Star Spangled Banner out loud. <laughs> I, I'd love to see that with you, you know, just running down the street singing. I've done it. Okay, good. Good. All right. So on to level three. So level three is a moderate pace and um, moderate, you know, the level three kind of puts you at your aerobic threshold. You know, it's kind of that spot between aerobic and anaerobic. Now, like I said before, aerobic is how your body works in the presence of oxygen. It's that fat burning mode um, where things are feeling good. Your body's able to, to break down that fat and give you lots of energy. Anaerobic is using a different energy system altogether because it does not require the presence of oxygen. So that's when you're dipping into your glycogen stores and um, utilizing more of like the glucose and the glycogen. And um, you're kind of at that in between. So level three is kind of right at that aerobic and anaerobic threshold where you start to kind of dip into different energy sources. 
which is part of the point of it. The whole idea, like the benefit of level three is you're running at the ceiling. Like if your goal is to try and push the your ceiling, you have to actually push against the ceiling. What ceiling are you talking about? The the level where you can run before it starts really hurting. Okay. You know, if you go out and just try and sprint, you reach a point where you can't sprint anymore because your legs just won't move anymore. Right. That's because you've I mean there's a, there's a few things going on, but one of them is you essentially ran out of your your short-term fuel. By pushing your lactate level, you're able to to increase how fast you can run before that like super heavy leg feeling comes on to you. Okay. So that ceiling that you're talking about is kind of that lactate threshold. You're just trying to kind of push um, how fast you are before you reach that ceiling, correct? That's the idea. So when you first start going, some people, they, they really struggle at this level because it's not comfortable. Right. It's right at that danger zone of if you go too fast in, in workouts where you're trying to work at like level three, if you go too fast, it hurts way before the end of the workout. And if you go too slow, you finish the workout and you're like, well, that, that wasn't that hard at all. Like this one's kind of a tricky one to hit. It's, it's around your 5k pace. Okay. Um, that's, yeah, that's what I was just about to ask you. Like, what is a level three? What, what should that feel like? Well, when you start running at a level three, it should feel comfortable. Like I suggest a level three is something that you can hang for about 30 minutes. Okay. So, you know, I had a kid come up to me in the middle of the season. He goes, coach, during the 5k, is that like a a level three that I'm working at? And, you know, I knew that he could run somewhere around like 24, 25 minutes. And I'm like, "Mm, it's it's above a level three, but it's nowhere near four. That's the trick of Mm -hmm. running a 5k is if you do it at level three, you're going to cross the finish line and be like, well, I could have gone faster. Mm -hmm. And if you do it at four, you're not making it to the finish line. So if you're running like a sub 30 minute 5k, it's more of like a three and a half ever level that you're working on. It's a pace that you can hang for a a solid 30 minutes. Yeah. That's what the level three is. It's like a 30 minute pace. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Um, So it allows you to basically go faster before that muscle burn hits, correct? That's the idea behind it. All right, cool. So on to level four. So level four is um, what we're going to call a hard pace. Um, This is the pace that you are able to sustain for basically one mile and um, not much more than that. Yeah, if you're doing this thing right, this would be how fast you could run for for a timed mile. And every once in a while, you can find these races. You actually find them a bunch around the holidays, usually like 4th and July and Christmas have miles. There's a lot of like Santa's one mile run things that happen all the time. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, jump into the kid's mile in a 5K and go for it. (laughs) Just go for it. (laughs) You're going to win. (laughs) You're going to win and there's going to be a participation trophy at the end and it's going to be awesome. There you go. So what's the the benefit of a level four hard pace for for us as runners so it starts building the different energy systems if if three is that pace where you're making the transition between aerobic and anaerobic four you are fully in the anaerobic system and it helps your body then try and efficiently get rid of all of that junk that makes your body shut back down like that pain in the legs the burn from running so fast your body is able to get rid of that stuff it, the challenge is being able to get rid of it while still running and being able to make it through the entire mile. Oh. So it it improves the efficiency that you self-clean. Okay. And it also starts to improve the 
the efficiency of that anaerobic energy system. So like I was just talking about, that anaerobic energy system is more of your glycogen system. Um, so your body becomes more efficient at burning that source of fuel. The anaerobic system is already more efficient. That's why your body flips into that one when you start running faster. But by getting even better at burning that, the more you can improve your, your body's fuel economy, the better you run. Right. But the the challenge is, you know, you can't run at that pace for a long period of time because your glycogen system is much more limited than your um, aerobic fat burning system. Like you have way more fat on your body than you have glycogen stores in your body. So that's why you can only sustain that um, hard pace for a, a much shorter amount of time versus like an easy pace. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a way smaller fuel tank that you're going to, but when you're in that small fuel tank, you want to make sure that you burn through it as quick as possible so that you can be as fast as possible. I love it. Okay. And the, let's also mention the improvements that uh, level four does for your running form in general and your overall running efficiency. Uh, the improvements in running form that you get from level four are fantastic. It's hard to change your running form by trying to think about it. Okay. If you're just like, okay, I need to make sure my hands move like this and my feet move like that. You end up looking like a robot when you go out and run. It's, it's very forced and it takes a long time for your body to adapt. By running at level four, your body naturally takes out a lot of the excess movement and streamlines it because mm -hmm. you just can't have excess movement at level four. Right. It's just not happening. Yeah, because your body can't afford to waste the energy doing all those excess movements. It needs the energy to burn for you to run that fast. Right. There's still, I mean, it's helpful to have some guidelines of make sure that your arms don't cross too far, that your feet are kicking back behind you, of lift course. the knees. but. If you just kind of have a general idea of what you're supposed to be looking like, you don't have to think real hard about it at level four because your body wants to do that. Okay, excellent. Anything else you want to say about level four? No, I'm ready for five. All right, let's go on to the max. All right, level five is your maximum um, level. Um, so this is a, a pace that you should be able to hold for about a quarter mile, and that's it. It's It's not you know, your absolute max, you know, this, this message is out there for, you know, a lot of people going on distance runs and there's not a lot of benefit of how fast can you run the 40 meter dash? Like I, you, unless you're training for the NFL combine, you're not needing that if you're going off and running a 5k, let alone a marathon. Right. Right. So max running for distance runners. For it, distance runners. Yeah. That are running more 5ks and above. Yeah. And your, your benefits are very similar to level four, but there's a, there's a saying around among runners that says speed kills those who don't have it. Oh, that's, that's the line. Like at some point you got to work on that high end speed because it, it's helpful. It, it helps your body be able to know, okay, I can still do that. And at the end of a race, it's always nice to be the person who still has a kick. Right. So is, is training at this level, is that necessary for all runners? Like what if you're training for a marathon? Like, should you be doing training at this level? Probably not. Most, you pretty much max out around 5k where you really even need to tap much into level five, mm -hmm. you know, beyond maybe throwing some strides in at the end of a run right. where you, it, and that's just to keep your legs fresh, just to keep your legs fresh. Yeah. And by, you know, I, I suggested this to somebody that they do their distance run and at the end of like, well, he's a ultra runner, but at the end of like a 20 miler, try and throw in a few strides. And he goes, huh, I never considered trying to go fast at the end of 20 miles, <laughs> like, but because it's a different energy source, it might feel awkward on the first stride, but the next few are actually going to feel pretty good because yeah. you're in a totally different energy system. Mm -hmm. So 
So yeah, so that's pretty much level five, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's pretty much it. All right, so how does um, effort-based running compare to heart rate training? Because there's a lot of you know information and research out there now about the different heart rate zones that people should be training in, and moderate versus vigorous. I know there's a lot of this, um, you know, in some of the um, gyms out there, you know, like some of the cycling gyms and like Orange Theory and um, Garmin, I know, puts people in different heart rate zones, you know, to, to tell you how hard you're training. So how does this effort-based running compare to that? You know, it matches up pretty similarly. The the heart rate training, you know, throw a strap onto somebody and tell them that you need to live inside of this zone. And the theory behind it is is really very similar. There's the same benefits of being in the easy zone and the moderate zone. Like you're getting all of those benefits. Right. So you know, conceptually, they're very much in line with each other. Mm-hmm. But there there's issues. You want to cover one of the big ones? Uh, well, the big one is that the heart rate zones are based on your maximum heart rate. So the different heart rate zones are all a percentage of your maximum heart rate. So, you know, like a, a moderate zone would be like 50 to 75% of your max heart rate. But the challenge is what is your max heart rate? And there are different equations out there to help you try to figure out your maximum heart rate. Like the most common equation is 220 minus your age. That's the most common equation, just basic to help Help you try to figure out what your max heart rate would be. And it, it's been out there and it's been out there for a long time. If you mm-hmm. Google max heart rate, that thing just pops up right at you. Right. And it's not the most accurate thing. It doesn't take into account at all your level of fitness. It just throws that number out there and suggests your age is the only thing affecting your heart rate. And it's it's not. Right. And then, I mean, if you also look, there's a lot of other different formulas out there that have been validated in research, but you know, some of them are, are too 207 minus your age times, you know, 70%, uh, you know, and it depends on if you're male or you're female. And so there are different ones and the accuracy of all of these um, are different. You know, the, the more, there are some that are more accurate than others, but ultimately there's always a margin of error and that margin of error is a good 10 to 20 beats per minute. So how accurate is that? Right. I mean, if it suggests that my max heart rate is somewhere between 80 and 200, you know, 180. Yeah, sorry, 180 and 200. Um, you know, 70% of that is a pretty wide range. Right. And then your, your moderate zone is then 50 to 75% of that. Right. So suddenly your, the, your training zone is this huge window that you're trying to put it inside of. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to get something like lactate threshold level, th- that can't be a zone of, well, somewhere in this range of 20 beats per minute. It needs to be a little more fine tuned than that. That's the benefit of effort is you, once you've done it a few times, you kind of get a feel of what that level is where you're like, ooh, I'm almost, I'm almost at that level where I'm pushing too hard. That's the level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just kind of start to intuitively know what that level is instead of like always, you know, staring at your watch the whole time, you know, as you're training. Correct? Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a lot of benefits from being able to feel what all these different zones are. Right. You know, when you head out for a race. You know, some people still do it, and they've I've seen them with the heart rate monitors strapped around them and checking their watches and stuff like that. It's like that's great, but you're just go race. Yeah, what do we do before we had all of these heart rate watches and GPS watches? And you know, like like this is what you did. You you ran you went out there and you ran by the way you felt. Like that's what all the Olympians did back in the day. They might have had a a stopwatch to keep track of their pace, but that was pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said for knowing how fast you're actually going, you know, and 
it's, it's a key thing. I remember being in high school where we had to go, um, like run a mile and then try and run a second mile as close to that first one as possible, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was the challenge. Do both of them without a watch and just try and repeat as close as possible to your pace. Mm. It's way harder than you think. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Well, and that, and that's one way that you can kind of try to figure out your own max heart rate, you know, because that's the other thing. Other than these equations, you can basically, with a doctor's clearance first, of course, you can go out and just try to basically run really hard and see how high you can get your heart rate. Yeah, I mean, run up a run up a hill, or, or you know, since we're in Florida, run up an overpass because there are no <laughs> hills here. Mm-hmm. But if you if you run up a hill once, you kind of get up in your heart rate, and then come back down a little bit, and then go up again, and you get a little bit higher, and then go again, and you get a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. You know, isn't that like one of the treadmill tests they do in the actual doctor's office? You no, know, some of the stress tests. Yeah, they'll put you they'll put you at like a normal level, and then every minute or so, they just up the elevation until you get to a point where you just physically can't go anymore. Mm-hmm. What's your heart rate at that? point. That's probably remarkably close to as max as it gets. Right. And again, if you're going to do something like that, make sure you have a doctor's clearance first. So we've kind of already covered this, but Kev, how can um, effort-based training help us in races? So it really helps you know what paces you're actually going at. You know, this is a big thing, especially for newer runners. They fire a gun off and everybody just takes off flying. Mm -hmm. The ability to get into your appropriate race zone is huge. That's true. You know, if you take it off super fast in the opening quarter mile, it's going to hurt really hard, really bad, way before the finish line. Mm -hmm. Being able to know what that 5K zone is helps. You know, I know the... The marathon I did last fall, oh man, they fired a gun and I took off with that lead guy and I know my zone and I just mentally blocked out how fast I was supposed to be going because it was race morning and I was going. Mm -hmm. Know your zones. It really helps races feel a lot better. And and if you can feel how fast you're supposed to be going, things work out a lot better throughout the entire race. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important to kind of point out too is, you know, the effort-based training is based on you know, like we said before, different conditions surrounding it, like the weather and your sleep and your emotional state and all that stuff, that all plays a part in how hard all these runs feel. So I think it's important to note that when you're going out for like a level two run on an easy day, like if it's hot out, know what that feels like. And then if you're going out on a level two on an easy day, if it's nice and cool out, know what that feels like. So that way when you're on when you come to race day, you kind of know, okay, it's, it's a nice day out. Okay. This is what uh, like my level two should feel like. This is what my level three should feel like. I mean, you shouldn't obviously be doing level two during a race, but you'll, you'll kind of have a better idea of what it should feel like in your body based on some of the external conditions that, um, you're faced with that day. You're totally hitting somewhat similar to a level two in race day. If your race is like a marathon. Okay. If, if level two is easy and level three is what you can hold for 30 minutes, well, in much over a 5K race, you're going to be going over 30 minutes. So that's between two and three. Okay. And then it just gets so hard because you're out there for so long. How long can I hold two and a half is kind of what what the number is. Yeah. But like anything else, a, a, as great as effort-based training is, there's also some limitations. So Kev, tell us what is like one of the biggest limitations with the effort-based training? If you have a specific time goal that you're trying to hit for any race, for anything at all, you know, if you're trying to, to Boston qualify qualify or, you know, break under a certain hour limit or, you know, 30 minutes in a 5k or 25 minutes, whatever it is, you need to have 
uh, very race specific numbers. They really do help you know, okay, I can hold this pace. Or if I can hit half mile repeats faster than my 5k pace, that means that I can pull back and I can actually run at my 5k pace continuously for the three miles. It's nice to have some specific numbers. They really help you make uh, key improvements where you, you know the specificity. I, I like what you just said there because I know that having those paces um, has definitely helped me mentally as well, not just physically. I mean, yes, you, you need to learn what those paces feel like physically, um, but also, like you just said, mentally in some of the workouts that you've made me do, um, you you have me do, you know, like mile repeats at a pace faster than my 5K. So it just mentally allows me to kind of wrap my head around that 5k goal that I have as being achievable because I know I've run faster than that and I didn't sustain it for an entire length of a 5k but you know I did a mile at that pace and I did that four times you know so technically I really ran four miles at a pace faster than my 5k yeah the uh, the actual number based training used to drive you nuts when you first started getting into running because I didn't know what it felt like or what it should feel like it was hard you kept looking at me like and it's the same place that so many people are when they're running they're like if I want to run a 5k fast I should just practice running three miles as fast as I can over and over again right and that's not the answer Mm -hmm. you need to run shorter things faster you need to run longer things slower and it ends up fine-tuning by working on the fast and the slow end, you hit that middle part where you're actually racing a 5k optimally. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's definitely true. Um, I definitely did not understand the purpose of running five or six miles. If I was only going to be running three miles in a race, it made no sense to me, but, um, following your training plan got me to, (laughs) got me to the place that I wanted to be. So, so well done coach. Thank you. I tried. So, as we like to do in these shows, we try and take the topic and bring it over into real life. How does effort-based training correspond to real-life environment? So, um, just like with our running, if we kind of live life at that, like, moderately stressed level, you know, that level three to four, you know, eventually things are going to break down. You need the easy days. You need the rest and the recovery um, so that you just don't like break down. I mean, you know, nowadays we live a life that is so fast paced and, you know, the word busy has almost become like a badge of honor for a lot of people. You know, you ask, hey, how's, how's everything going? Oh, things are good. They're busy. You know, like I, I found myself saying the same thing, you know, it's almost like this this cape that we wear, like I can handle it all, you know, and, and life is busy and life is stressful. Um, but eventually it catches up to you. If you don't take that time to rest and recover and nurture yourself and your mind and your body, all of it, you're, you're going to break down. You're going to get injured. You're going to get sick. Like things are, or something else is going to happen. In training, they call it polarized training is the big buzzword out there of making sure that you do your training either nice and easy or plenty hard. And in life, I think it it comes in nicely of make sure that when you're relaxing, you're actually relaxing. You're not relaxing while you check your email on your phone Mm. and you're trying to cover seven other things and you're brainstorming about a topic that you're going to start writing something on or still thinking about work while you're home with the kids actually relax. Are you talking directly to me? I'm talking directly to myself. There's a <laughs> mirror in front of me that I can see. Um, make sure that, that your easy time is easy time. Yeah. And then 
Otherwise, you're not going to have the energy and ability to push it when you have things in your life that are actually super stressful. Be able to bring it for those things by recovering and actually enjoying the downtime. And not just stressful, but things that you, you know, times that you just really want to be productive, you know, whether it's in business or personal life or whatnot. Like if there's a time that you just really need to focus and, you know, put your pedal to the metal and to the grind and get something done and accomplished, like you can't be at that level all the time like you do need that rest and recovery and and I agree I think that I definitely know that I have a a hard time relaxing which is sad to say but you know it's something that I'm definitely working on trying to put the phone away turn off the electronics you know actually rest and relax when I have that time to do so and and actually even trying to schedule that time into the calendar I think is very is a helpful tip I I'm still trying to do it myself Um, I'm not always successful at it but I think that it does help when we actually do you know make a point to do that yeah I think uh, I think maybe the two of us should have a nice relaxing afternoon now Yes, let's go watch the football game. Of course. All right. So that's what we've got for you guys today. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today. This episode did go a little bit longer than some of our others, but um, it's a very, very important concept. And I know um, a lot of runners are just not um, aware of it. Stop living at two and a half. Yeah, Be exactly. Be a two or a three plus. Right, right. So anyway, guys, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show and share it with a friend. You know, if you know a friend that would be interested in this, please do share. Head over to our website, realliferunners.com, and check out what, all the awesome resources and show notes that we have over there for you guys. So have fun on your runs this week, and we will catch you guys next week. <laughs>